You're listening to Own the Future Season 2. I'm your host, Jesse Lee. And I'm Truman Sachs. We recorded this conversation about a month ago, last week of March, with my internet friend, Gabby Goldberg of Festival Venture Partner. Among other topics, we discussed her own journey of being one of the youngest VCs in the game, our own origin stories for Basic Space and Scout, the creator economy, big clout, and why we kind of miss MySpace. We hope you enjoyed the show. All right, so we have a very special pod today, the first IRL version. Truman, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, we're in our headquarters that Jesse pays for, so feeling, <laughs> feeling blessed. Well, why don't you welcome in our guest of the day? We have uh, Gabby Goldberg from Bessemer Venture Partners, a good friend of mine that first time meeting in person, so that's awesome, and met through a cool mutual friend from Israel. So uh, Gabby, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you guys for having me. So for listeners that may not be familiar, do you mind sharing a little bit of backstory on how you've become an investor? Yeah, sure. I guess I'll start. I'll just come right out and say it is I'm 21. And so one year older than one year older than me. Yeah. So I'm not the youngest person in this room, but a lot of the times I am. And so I, I should explain kind of the pathway, but I am finishing up my senior year at Stanford where I study computer science and philosophy. Never really knew what I wanted to do. I really liked my classes and was like enjoying myself, but was kind of just going through the motions until I had my, I guess I'll call it a quarter life crisis, my junior year. And I said, like, I'm running out of time at Stanford. I still don't know what I want to do. I need to like remove myself from all of this and do a little mini experiment and just see what happens when I'm on my own. Like, what do I gravitate towards and what do I like and what am I good at? So naturally, Truman will get it. I went to Israel and I- the best place on earth. Yeah, exactly. That was a retreat. (laughs) That was the retreat. It was a spiritual retreat for my career. Um, but I was working at a startup there and learning Hebrew and living on my own, just trying to figure out like, like, what do I want to do? And I was taking time off school and I basically found that I was working nine to five at this startup. I was learning Hebrew, whatever I was meeting people, but really what was getting me excited by being there was meeting all of these founders and investors in Tel Aviv. It's a really hot startup ecosystem and there's just a lot of innovation happening there. And that's what was getting me really excited. And it kind of culminated in either late February or early March of 2020. I met this investor who said to me, Gabby, I'm seeing what you're doing in Israel. Have you ever thought about early stage venture? You might really like it. And that was the first time anyone had said that to me and it kind of planted the seed. And his advice to me was to get on Twitter and follow early stage VCs there. So that was the first time I'd heard that too. I hadn't used Twitter since I was in high school, but I made an account and then literally like one week later, I got sent home because of COVID, the borders closed, I lost my job. I didn't know if I was going back to school. So basically like my life turned upside down as it did for everyone. And then on my flight home, I saw this job application for an internship at chapter one, which is a seed stage fund in LA. So I was pretty honest in my email to Jeff, the GP at that fund. I was like, listen, this is what I was doing before. I think I might like early stage venture. I have no idea what it is or how to do it, but I just lost my job. So I'm available if you want me. Um, And then I had a couple of interviews and we got to know each other and I ended up working for him over the summer absolutely fell in love with it. I didn't go back to school because I wanted to keep working with him. So I was at chapter one for about six months and then got connected to Bessemer, which is a larger, more institutional fund because they're an LP in chapter one. So they met me through that. I went and worked with Talia, who has the same last name as me, but is not related to me. <laughs> and we worked together for a few months. And then once uh, I got kind of like the full-time offer to join the team at Bessemer, now I'm back finishing up my degree. So I'm part-time doing both. How many semesters do you have left? 
I just had finals last week. Oh, so you're almost done. Yeah, so I'm technically on spring break right now. Let's so go. yeah, Culver City. Like, exactly. <laughs> having a great time. So I have one more quarter and then I'll be starting in their New York office this summer. Very much of like the highs and lows of COVID, pre-COVID, during COVID, and looks like you're gonna come out on the other side of COVID. Pretty good you know, standing. Congrats for uh, figuring all this out in like a 12 month cycle. Yeah, it was good for for like priorities. I feel like I almost moved to Israel as like the side story for maybe a different podcast. And that's why I was spending so much time there. And I think COVID made me realize like I want to be close to family. I value like the friendships and the relationships I have in the US and like at home. And then in terms of work, it was like, I don't want to spend my life doing something that I don't enjoy, which is what I had been doing before that. And so now, obviously, I'm still so fresh in it, but I actually love my job and I love to do it every day. I'm still stuck on the fact that you're on Twitter in high school. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anyone my age. Yeah, but also, age it's funny because I, I, I literally just went back on Twitter, as Truman knows, just for this podcast like a month ago or three weeks ago. And I hadn't been on it for six, seven years. Really? My Twitter in high school was more like a Finsta. Like it was, really? it was public, but the only people, it's almost like you're alone in a big room of people, sort of. So my account was public and anyone technically could find me. The clubhouse before clubhouse. Exactly, yeah. Love it. And I, I found my old account a couple of weeks ago and honestly, I was so funny. <laughs> but it's hard now because like... like Kevin Durant funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cupcake. Yeah, no, it's... Twitter's like, I think, making a little comeback. Yeah, I mean, you're killing it on Twitter now, right? What are you at? Like 13,000 I, th- I think 14, so yeah. Like 14 times me and Jesse. Who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really spend time on Twitter. You say a lot? Yeah, I'll probably tweet like maybe four times a week, five times a week. That's not too much. Truman, you probably tweet maybe, more. Maybe more if I'm <laughs> replying to people. Or retweeting. Yeah. I'm on it every day for sure. Like I wish I could say I'm above it, but it's like the highest ROI thing I've done for my job. Well, I, I mean, one thing I've noticed when I went back on is it seems like every VC has a pretty active Twitter account. I've also heard from somebody else that's more like my age and she went back on Twitter because that she had to be active. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's like you have to have a Substack, medium Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah, like that's so the whole funny. thing. So, it's certainly not everything. So, for example, at Bessemer, I'm the most junior person on my team by far, and everyone else on my team is just absolutely brilliant and amazing at what they do, and I think I have the most followers. So, What's your secret? Well, the secret is like, it's not that important. And so it's been really helpful for me. I've met founders through it. I got my job through it. So that's even why I'm here, but it's not everything. So like, you can't take it too seriously, but yeah, it's, it's been valuable for me. All right. Moving on to the first question. Speaking of Jack, I think we asked like all of our uh, people this, which is just when does Bitcoin hit out, like hit 100K, like officially a month and month and year. I think a year from now. So March. At the latest. Like, like March of 2022? I think, yeah. I think my safe bet is March 2022. Yeah. 12 months from now? Yeah. It's conservative. Well, it depends. Is that too conservative? Well, don't say the other person's name. Jason's going to beep it out. But yeah, we've got different. Everyone's got different guesses, but I would say yours is like kind of in the middle. Uh, more towards like, like not, it's like definitely more conservative than the other, other people. The, the, the majority. Mm. But not as conservative as somebody who you might not think it would be conservative on this. So that's actually the interesting point. Oh, interesting. I wonder if there's a direct correlation between a creator's success and how authentic they are with their audience. Like what percentage of their presence on the internet is an accurate reflection of their true life? I don't know. That's just kind of a, a hypothesis that came to mind. What about you guys? How's your uh, how are your tweets? Are they authentic? I mean, I'm like every time I tweet, I'm like, okay, well, either I, I tweet. you, Truman. Yours is pretty <laughs> authentic. But. So the problem is like... 
my take, I don't think this is a hot take at all. I, I think everyone probably agrees with this, but you can't be fully yourself on any platform because those platforms are not real life, right? So I feel like one version of myself on Instagram, one version on LinkedIn. That's true. I tell my college friends that Twitter, my Twitter account is my work account. Obviously, that's not true. I'm not told to post on Twitter from my job, but how else do I explain it to them? So I'm authentic in that facet of my life, but there's so much more to me than what I tweet about. There's like six of you. Yeah. It's also the cool thing about the world reopening because I started my career online. Yep. And so people always ask like, oh, do you prefer Zoom pitches where you can do more in-person pitches? And I'm like, I honestly don't know. I've only ever done Zoom pitches. Same Up here. until about a month ago, I met a founder for coffee for the first time. I mean, I've only done Zoom. I've been working quote unquote remote for the past like four years. So whenever someone's like, oh yeah, it's COVID. Like everyone, like how are you going to handle running your business online? I mean, I've been doing this for the past like four years. Like this is my bread and butter. I think that it's actually a harder transition for me to kind of go back to the quote-unquote normal than uh, it is for um, most people. And I think the same with you, Gabby, probably. Yeah, it's, 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 like, it's a new start, right? Yeah. Well, let's let's ask our, uh, a couple other hard-hitting questions before we get to the serious stuff. Um, I mean, this also, we asked this question to a few others, but I don't know if you've signed a term sheet or deal yet with Bessemer, but like, where would you take Truman if he were a founder Ooh, to do the deal? That's such a good question. I don't know if I would close a deal here, but maybe if it's like a group celebratory dinner, Laurel Hardware. Just there on Monday. Really? With, uh, with my SVP. Yeah. We had a, uh, yeah, it's a uh, outdoor dining, although it looked like inside was packed too. You like Laurel Hardware? Yeah. I think West that's my Hollywood. favorite here. And who are you listening to on your playlist to get something like to grind out that cold email? Mm. Hmm. Well, the cold email, I do like lo-fi hip hop music. So that one doesn't really count, but anything else, probably like Anderson Pock. I've just now discovered he used to be Breezy Lovejoy. So now I'm listening to Breezy Lovejoy, which is technically Anderson Pock, but Oh really? Same same person, different name, but it's cool. Learning something new every day. Like you can hear the style kind of evolving over the years. Like a different moniker, different project? It's just like when he was just starting out and then I think he had so before he blew up? Yeah, and so it's hard to find that music. Did you um listen to his Tiny Desk concert? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Tiny Desk. Uh, I don't listen to music anymore. I listen to just podcasts and just noise. You listen? Do you sleep with white noise? I, I listen to like basketball podcasts to fall asleep <laughs> really? to. My brother does. I don't, I don't get Literally it. Literally like Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, Ryan Rosillo. I'll be honest. I like speak on some podcasts, but I've probably spoken on more than I've listened to. Oh. Not, not a podcast a, fan? Not really. The craziest podcast I've ever listened to was like literally one of my first times. It's like, I think um, Planet Money. That's what it's called. Yeah. I, like I just clicked on one and shuffled. Okay. And it was about the creation of sperm banks. All right. I know this can sound extremely weird, but I thought it was fascinating just because it just randomly came up, which is the first person who came up with a sperm bank. And the, the first one in, in uh, Netherlands was, was someone in the Netherlands. And he had a dream of frozen sperm. And then he's like, there's something there. And then he like couldn't get that image out of his head and he tried it. And then... He created the largest and biggest sperm bank in the world. Wow. I'm not the interviewer here, but now I want to know how you guys came up with your companies. My story for Basic Space is really like, I think for, for me anyway, like it's, it's not just a business sounds cheesy, but like we really have the why. So it's always been about discovery, right? So my first business, which is still part of our company, DFM was a creative agency and it really was about like discovering talent across creative fields and then partnering them with brands and that's how you you know provide value for consumers but while doing that it just dawned on me even more that there were talented musicians and designers and photographers and artists who just never got the same opportunity that 
somebody signed to a major record label, somebody who had radio play, somebody who might have had an investor and somebody who had a bigger team. And so with basic space, the idea is very simple, which is like we discover and showcase creative talent and then build robust revenue streams around it. So like some sellers sell pre-owned, some sells, some sellers have their own brand. So it's exclusive new products. And then we do collaborations with brands. And then now we're about to release NFTs. So it's all basically around the idea that we want to discover, showcase creative talent who deserve to be seen and heard. And then we buy it, we pay for it, right? So that's kind of, I think, the creator economy, passion economy, NFTs, just like democratizing access and information. So and then as Truman eloquently put it in a pod last week, what basic space can do is curation eliminates speculation. So like we can become the right trusted source because when you have too much options or too many options, right, that's not good either. People say they want options, but they want to be able to, you know, be served in a curated manner. Steve Jobs has a good quote on that. I don't remember it, but it's like every like he designed the iPhone as if you're like the dumbest person alive and he kind of like wanted to remove all of the optionality from it. So it's like, I know you better than you know you, right? So it's like, yeah, you want to deliver them something before they even know that they want exactly. and then that's, you know, and make it as easy as possible. Eliminating optionality is I think like a huge like the or like concept in UX, which I think is underappreciated. You can even think of like Chipotle, like they, this is one podcast that I have listened to from the founder of Chipotle. But basically, like, he purposefully has limited options, right? Mm-hmm. If you have too many options, then you have that no, paralysis. No, I think as long as, and then for us, it's the idea that, right, we're picking the best sellers and creatives. So you, you, you think it's sort of an endless possibility, but then we still have, I mean, right now, like close to 200 sellers, but it's still somewhat limited, right? So it is curated to you and hopefully in a digestible way. But the idea is that like there could be new sellers you discover, you know, from that. Yeah. No, I'm super bullish on that thesis. Like I wrote a piece called Curators are the New Creators because I was trying to think of what the future of the creator economy might look like. Because obviously we're in a place now where there are a lot of options if you want to create something or, you know, be a creator in your own right. But now, if anything, there's just way too much noise. And so we're at a point where people are willing to pay for someone who has good taste. It also reminds me of Colors Studios. Um, where people curate it, you might have seen those YouTube videos of someone it's like singing with a, a solo microphone coming down on the screen and it's like a bright color behind them it's all branded by this and it's another startup in itself called Colors X Studios and they curate up and coming niche artists and they'll record like a song or a couple songs and then they have merch to go along with it and they have live shows and they have it expands horizontally but it's all based on this curation thesis too because we what i would say is like we curate the curators so yes you're right and then we're going to come on top of that and say we then curate the curators too because ultimately all of our sellers some of them are well known some aren't i mean we have big name sellers like a naomi osaka but then a lot of like up-and-coming talent and i think the balance that at least we want to strike is I want you to come and discover someone new, but then also there's a trusted source of like, oh, I know this artist, this designer, DJ, musician, whatever. So like you get the balance of like the discovery element, but also like that trust. I think the illustration of your point for creator, uh, creators and new creators kind of plays itself out in the rise of archive pages on social media recently, right? Like, are you familiar with the concept of an archive page on Instagram? curate like hidden new york they'll curate like these uh, cool like, or 90s anxiety 90s anxiety it's another yeah. up-and-coming seller on basic space really okay fine so that's a little like here guys exclusive all they do is just post 
cool streetwear products that their followers would be interested so, in. So yeah, Hidden is like for more streetwear New York scene and then something like a 90s anxiety. I, I would say in general, like m- more women follow that account. And it's basically all inspo from like the 90s. So you'll see photos of like Brad and Jen in like their fit going on a date or like some 90s show or MTV reference. So yeah, there are all these sort of, they're almost like Yeah, I mean, I think that like actually. curators are cool because they're, they're not like people that taste. you can look up to. It's their taste. And it's like they're embodying a adjective. I am a streetwear. So what is that streetwear? And that's like a variety of different things. It's like my curation of how I define streetwear. I guess I view like archive pages as ad- adjectives. Yeah. And then it's interesting because most of the people running it are or, not what you would think they are. Meaning nouns. because it's not a traditional <laughs> influencer, right? Because mm-hmm. when you think of an influencer on social, you see their face, the way they dress or they talk. The people behind these accounts are generally like the opposite of what you might assume, which is kind of cool yeah. too. Yeah, they're just very good listeners. That's a good point, yeah, you know, and then the, maybe historians, right? Yeah. But then why shouldn't they also deserve to make money? Maybe it's not based on like physical attributes, but it's their creative attributes. It's crazy because I once cold DM'd one of these like archive pages called the Youngstar Beam. I gave him a virtual credit card. This is a true story um, of, of my own money. I was like, listen, this has like $1,000 on it. I want you to buy me a wardrobe. Um, <laughs> no way. So did you and did, did, did he didn't do it? Per- he never did it. He was like he was like. Well, what does he get out it. of it though? I was gonna pay him. Oh, like, okay. A, like a percentage of every like product because I was you like, need a stylist. I love your style. I was like, I don't have time to shop. I love your page. Like, here's my sizes. Can you buy me cool shit? I don't know. I think there's a business there. It's called Stitch Fix. <laughs> oh, is that a th- is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the demo, I guess. But you know, Katrina Lake wouldn't be happy if you asked that question. No, that's it's it's a fascinating time because there are so many niche communities right and the three of us probably pay attention to more of them than most people but even then we all come across things that one of us hadn't heard of yeah i was talking with a friend about this general idea and you know that phrase turtles all the way down he was joking like it's curation all the way down you can build layers of this on top because in a sense if you give room for people who are not good at it like let's say you had the worst taste and basic space was filled with stuff that maybe didn't deserve to be on it yeah then it's like you're just adding to the noise, right? You're actually making it worse. You're not even neutralizing it. You're making it worse. Oh, I have a saying. It's called polluting the internet. There are a lot of people with bad taste polluting the internet with their Instagram feed. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's like hitting me. So (laughs) curation aspirationally will get rid of that. But the bar for curating is so low that it also, you end up getting a lot of bad curators. Like think about every person who has like a Pinterest board. And you can also look at it. There's the, the, the aesthetic that you put out. But I think there's something to be said about also how you curate behind the scenes, meaning with people. So even just how Truman, you and I connected, right, is through a mutual investor, Jerry. Shout out Mavron for buying me lunch today. (laughs) (laughs) But even that, right, like it's a very interesting network of how this works because there's the outward aesthetic curation we're talking about. But then even who you form friendship with and work with and collaborate with behind the scenes can actually potentially even have further, better, bigger implications on the outside back. So the reason why we're even doing this podcast is because Truman was a guest on my season one, Own the Future. And in my head, I'm like, okay, season two, I want to maybe interview, talk to investors, but wouldn't it be cooler, more fun and interesting if it had a POV from a Gen Z entrepreneur? So that happened behind the scenes. And then now we're having this 
discussion with you because you guys knew each other and then Truman's like, let's go, let's do it. Yeah, I totally believe that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so that's another example of it. My mom used to say that all the time when I was it's younger. So true. When she didn't like one of my friends. Jerry taught me that at like last week and I like- You just learned that? I just learned that. Yeah, that's like, it, like I was like, wow. And right. it starts hitting you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like, wow, I just like fired four friends. <laughs> just stop it just ghost them yeah. that's like um i never even used myspace i was too young to actually be on it but i love the idea of a top MySpace eight. top eight and i do it with everything for all of our younger um audience members here what is uh, myspace top eight i shouldn't even be talking about it but basically <laughs> you would have this public roster of your top eight friend connections on myspace and everyone else could see it and so it was this thing of like let's say you guys are in my top eight of like interviewers for podcasts and then you log on next week and all of a sudden you both have moved down two notches because someone else interviewed me. That was better. It's so public. So it's like the and Snapchat best friends list back in the day. Yeah, but it's almost more intentional because you're the one controlling who's where on that list. Yeah, so what Top 8 was, and they ended up expanding it, which then made it not as cool. But what Top 8 was, and this is the best part, MySpace Tom was always the first. Like he made himself the first of the eight and you'd have to like physically remove, not physically, <laughs> but digitally remove him out of the eight. But I remember like when you start adding friends, like you have to every day kind of change who the top eight is because as you have more friends, you can only showcase eight people. So it's kind of a genius thing that they sort of went away from because they started opening up to like 16 and 32. So it almost like meant way less, you know, but yeah, the MySpace top eight was like a real thing. Imagine like follow who you follow, but like hundred times more intense. Yeah, I wonder if like any social media platform will try to bring that concept back. I think there's like an opportunity. It sounds sick. Like I would, I think like someone should bring it back. Thought it was funny. I don't know if it would fly today because even now Instagram is getting rid of likes and things like that. Again, like we said at the beginning, we're moving so much more towards authenticity. If anything, though, the MySpace top eight is the most authentic. Yeah, you tell it like it is. Yeah, and it's not based on algorithm. It's like you literally manually pick your top eight. So, well, I mean, let's try to like get some VC questions in here because <laughs> back um, to the original back, script, yeah, back original to work, script. back to work before. Okay. Before we do a VC one, cause I want to ask this one is like, who is someone that you haven't met yet that you want to meet and what would you ask them? Oh, that is a great question. I have one and it's just so basic. I have to keep thinking. I honestly would love to meet Mark Andreessen. I just feel like he shaped the venture industry. Fellow, fellow U of I grad. Is that where you went? For better or worse. I went to yeah, U of I down in Champaign. It okay. was like cornfields. Yeah. But that's where yeah. Mark Andreessen went. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So I feel very like grateful to be in this industry that he shaped. But you know, he's controversial for Twitter reasons. He blocks people. Yeah. He doesn't block me. So oh, that's a win. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a win. You're not a journalist. Make t-shirts. Mark yeah, Andreessen we- unblockers. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you ask him? I think I would just be curious to hear more of his story of like how he does his job. As a person, I'm so fascinated by people who are old and like kind of not on like the tail end of their career. Like I think he's got a long way to go, but like people who have been in this job at a time where a lot of people have already burnt out and it still seems like he approaches his work with so much energy and he just loves it. And that's why he's able to be so successful. We're all young. I'm sure we've all felt at some point, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, God, am I burning out? Or like, am I, you know what I mean? It's happened a couple of times and I feel lucky that I really like my job, but I'm always careful where it's like, okay, I don't want to take too many calls because the moment I wake up one day and I'm like, I don't like this job anymore. I feel like you can never go back and I want to do this job forever and I want to like it. 
And so I'm so curious by people who are old. I don't know if I can call him like actually old, <laughs> but like people who are older and so successful and so energized by what they do. Like that's how I want to be. These jobs are running are like running marathons and not sprints, right? Yeah. Don't feel like you have you have a 12 a.m. deadline every single night. There is tomorrow, right? The sun's coming up. When you approach it from that perspective, that you're in this for the long run for the next five, 10, 20 years, things can wait a day, right? Like no no reason to stress out and burn yourself out. We, I've got a question. In your young career and what you've seen and learned and observed, how do you value a startup, right? So if you're doing early stage investing, outside of the traditional due diligence list, or what is your internal algorithm, right, of assessing Framework companies? Yeah. Okay, so I'll start by saying I really mostly look at consumer companies at seed and series A and pre-seed as well. So I don't look at really growth stage and I... If I see an enterprise company, it's just not really my wheelhouse. So I'll no caveat with that. Damn. Yeah, not, not a ton of SaaS. <laughs> I guess I'll also shameless plug. Like I just published the framework that I actually use in my oh. head oh, that no. I think about. Um, Substack, Medium? Both. I started on Medium and then everyone started yelling at me. So <laughs> I have since linked my account. So Got now it. I cross Got post both. on Substack. So yeah. We'll check it. Available on all platforms online. Can you give a, a 30 second Elevator summary pitch. of what you wrote though? Yeah. It so out? it's basically called my framework for evaluating early stage consumer companies. Literally <laughs> what I just question. asked. Yeah. Jesse, and so I ask, I ask four questions and literally I've been like sitting on this for months and I, I didn't want to publish my own framework. Cause listen, like I'm 21, I'm just starting. Maybe this framework won't work, but it is what I use now. And so if it does work, that's why I wanted to publish it now. Published. It's in print. <laughs> if it doesn't work in 20 years, I'll delete it, I guess. But we'll see. But anyway, the four questions I always ask are, why do people come? Why do people stay? Why do people share? And why do people pay? So why do people come? Like, what's the core thing that people are looking for when they come? That might not be the same thing as why they're staying on the platform. So similarly, like, come for the tools, stay for the network, whatever. What are the reasons they're coming and then staying? Sharing is my favorite because I think in consumer the most important metric to optimize for is distribution so there's some sort of like organic way of acquiring users that's just like really interesting so like not Facebook ads but like (laughs) what are getting people on the app like is it like I have to have my friends on this or something like that and then why do people pay like what's going to make this a business you mentioned that the third one is your favorite but would you also say that that's the most important I think distribution is the most important thing to look for in consumer for scale startups yeah so for example, like the first investment and so far only investment that I've made since I've been at Bessemer is a super early pre-launch consumer social startup all about sharing your screenshots. Um, and so it's a total, like, I love the founder. I think it's so cool, but it, it's the earliest you can get and it's consumer social. So it's like the riskiest bet you can make. But basically yeah. what got me excited about it was if you open up your phone and you open the photos app, you have portraits, live photos, Instagram photos, photos of your dog, photos of a certain location, and then you have all of your screenshots in one place, and it's just an absolute mess, and there's no way to sort through them. And it doesn't make sense because we take screenshots in a really intentional way. Like, it's such a binary. You either scroll past it and lose it forever, or it's a Snapchat that disappears, or you take a screenshot. It's either that or you don't. Um, And so why don't we have a better way to sort through them and share them and resurface them, et cetera? So even like I have an app on my phone called cam roll just for your normal camera roll. And it's like, here's what you were doing one year ago, or here's a random memory you might want to look at. And I love looking at my old pictures or I don't know about you guys, but if you're ever on the plane, all I do is is scroll through my old photos and I'll like delete the ones I don't want, whatever. Um, And so there the distribution 
just feels obvious. Like I send screenshots to my friends all the time. You can even like, if you take a screenshot on your phone, you can share it yeah. without even going anywhere. But that's a good example of kind of how I thought about it because obviously there's nothing to judge. It's pre-launch. It doesn't exist. So it's still pre-launch. It's in Yeah, like he, he's still working beta, on it. It's in like a closed beta. beta. What's it called? It's called Pager. Like the pagers you'd have, like that's that's no, I know that's that's an interesting name, huh? Throwback. And it's it's also very nostalgic too, yeah. and so it's like very like '90s stickers and stuff like that, and it's cool, huh? How many companies? Well, I mean, I don't know if you can disclose this, but like you're talking to a bunch of companies every week, every month, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious because you said the number three is your favorite question and the most important. How do you share? Is there like a company that has a specially unique method for sharing, and that you're like really surprised and impressed by? Mm. There are a bunch, and I think sometimes products are just inherently viral. So an example is like Wombo AI. I don't know if you guys saw that like lip syncing app. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it grew to 2 million users in two weeks. It was just wow. cr- all organic just because it's cool. Like that's all they did. I know when they started their go to market was we're going to send Wombo to 50 friends and just see what happens. And it grew to 2 million in two weeks. So they didn't really do anything, but it was sick. Wow. One that they did this on purpose, like trying to trying to have really strong distribution was Lolly is a dating app. It's like TikTok meets Tinder. So you can scroll through and see videos of people and you can clap on videos before matching on them. And it's, it's social in that way. But what they did to get users was you download the app and you're on the wait list. And if you want to get off the wait list, you have to send Lolly to three secret crushes. So they would get a text saying like, hey, an anonymous person from oh, your wow. contacts has a crush on you. But they can't verify the crush, right? Meaning like so I can just send you, it to Truman. If I Sorry, sent it, Truman. <laughs> if I sent it to you and you saw that someone had anonymously added you and you download Lolly and then you send one to me to get off the wait list. Then that match. We would match and we would know. So there is an incentive to try to be as honest as possible in hopes that you could match with someone. You will only that's find out. That's a really interesting. Yeah, that's a good answer. Okay, it, there we it's, go. It's that's cool. a really smart like, strategy. For example, Stanford has something. It's it's every year for your graduation. So I graduate in 2021. So it's called Match 21, where technically I haven't done it yet, but it's like I've known about it since my freshman year, where I can create a list of 21 people that I want to stay in touch with when I graduate or maybe like want to marry if I never get married or like whatever. And if they put your name down, then someone will email you guys and say, you guys both put each other on match 21. So it's this like four year thing hanging over your head. Like wow. who's going to put me on match 21? So it's similar to that. Why don't we end with uh, the prediction question? What would be your big prediction for end of 2021? I mean, let's scope it to their professional expertise. Consumer? In consumer, right? Like is there yeah. some sort of trend or big prediction that you're seeing playing out or that you think will take off? Yeah, I've been thinking about this and I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I've been thinking a lot about what is the future of the creator economy. So I don't even think we're at the creator economy's peak yet by any means. No, early innings. Yeah, but like what comes next or what are going to be the next stages in it beyond just like tools for creators to monetize, for example. So I think it's two things. One, we already talked about, which is creation moving to curation because there's a lot of noise online. And then I think the second one, I need to trademark this before someone else takes it from me, <laughs> but I'm calling it fan tech. Like what are the tools for fans of influencers and creators? Basically like creators are like controlling the internet now, right? Like they have their own brands, they have their own businesses, they're co-founders of companies obviously, mm-hmm. but they really aren't much without the people who have supported them from the start. And so I think the next phase is going to be apps and products 
that give recognition to people who are early adopters. Well, it's like NFTs, right? I was so, about to say, yeah, that's a vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I get made fun of by a lot of crypto people because they're like, Gabby, you should be working in crypto because all of your fundamental beliefs like make sense yeah. in crypto. Um, totally NFTs work. You also even see it on Spotify. It's like you're a day one listener or something like that where you yeah. can see like if you listen to someone you know, very early on. Um, so there's like, for example, there's a product called Scout where you can, oh my gosh, different scout. Yeah. These are my, you're my, the only ones. You're my favorite scout, don't <laughs> worry. Uh, there's another product called Scout, onscout.com, not scout. Yeah, scout.com? AI. No, on scout. Oh, yeah, on ne- scout. neither of you guys. But soon. Yeah, yeah so it's a race. We, we put a bid for 20K uh, last week. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's actually cheaper than I thought it would be. I mean, yeah, it was like a cold email, but we'll see. We'll see. But basically, you can like, scout music artists i think they're starting in music and it'll expand and if they make it big you'll have kind of like a share in their success and you'll have a badge on your like digital wallet of like i scouted this person and you can even see it i don't know if you guys are familiar with the company stir but they had a drop called pre-subscribe where you can basically subscribe to people saying i publicly support you and you could have a wall of all the people that you support because being a fan is a of value in itself. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like all my friends have this like running like competition of like who can send like, a low key song that's gonna pop off first to each other. Like who discovered yeah. that song? So I think like creating an, uh, an ecosystem around that to promote that and actually reward fans for choosing the next person that pops off is like something that's viral. I think that a lot of people play into because they're doing it naturally, anyways, right? Tangentially related to that, I don't know if you guys are on BitClout. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw that. I saw your tweet. Yeah, I wasn't on it until a friend texted me and said, "Hey, are you on BitClout?" And I'm like, "Oh no, why?" And he's like, "Well, people are." buying shares of you i think is what it is or they're investing mm-hmm. in me or something and so you're worth like 500 dollars or something i was like what how does that work i should probably make an account <laughs> so now technically if i could take my shares off platform and like cash it in it'd be worth like 30k but people are saying it's a scam because it's locked into the ecosystem so i can buy bitclout tokens and With share them and trade them and whatever but i can't it doesn't go anywhere at least not yet I don't want to make it another basic space um, ad, but in our roadmap, uh, there is a part in which, yes, there's going to be fractional ownership of the talent and the creative, right? Because you can start with a product, you can start with a project, a collaboration, and then they have other business ventures that they want to start. And instead of talking to, say, you as an investor or going to VCs, they can raise money from their fans, right? And then you can do fractional ownership. And then, I mean, we already talked about... Yeah, what yeah. Gumroad did, what what Arlen and Backstage Capital did on Republic, right? You can now raise up to five million dollars a year off of non-accredited investors, right? So like you can have seven thousand fans give you whatever hundreds of dollars, and then buy ten percent of that person's business, which is that person anyway. Like we talked yep. about earlier in the show, you know, it's about the individual. It's interesting because I always hear like every early stage VC person or investor talking about well, how you invest in the person and not the idea. Mm-hmm. And people say that, by the way, but not everybody believe believes okay. that. that. So that's the funny thing is I feel like there are actually two camps. I've certainly heard investors yeah. say like, you don't invest in the person because you can replace the CEO, which is right. terrifying. Jesse, and I never really well, that's thought like, about that. That's like 20 years ago. Yeah. You're yeah. not replacing us. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't going anywhere. But yeah, I've heard that and I agree with it for sure. I guess that culture is also playing out in the real world now too. But that's been going on in VC for what, years now? Yep. But I would, I mean, the last thing I'll say on my side, and you guys can finish out the convo, is where the world's going, individuals have the power. So forget just VCs and investors and fans versus influencer, right? So if you just take that macro approach, the most important thing in a, any business or venture should be the person. And even 
some of our friends we've talked to said on the flip side too, as founders, when we talk to investors, you know, 10 years ago, the firm mattered more. We don't have to name the brands. We all know the brands. But now it's the lead investor or who's going to take a board seat that matters more because that's the person you're signing a deal with and you're partnering with, not the other people that have come and gone before them at that firm. You know, and I think even as younger entrepreneurs, like people younger than me, like you, you care about the person more than again, like you might not even know about the history of some of these firms. So why do you care? You yeah, know? I mean, like I, one of our seed investors is Sam Hinkie, who I think we were one of his, if not the first investment of his entire firm, like he just started out with a, a new venture capital fund. And I mean, we really couldn't care less because he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. The VC's name or the firm's name didn't even come to mind. I didn't even know what it was called. I just like said, Sam, scout, yes, like let's do it. If you're good at and great at and love what you do, that's also a good sign for an investor, right? Because it's not about necessarily the whole firm and like how much, you know, how big the fund is. You know, the founders are going to be wanting to work with investors who they also trust and think is authentic. Yeah. And I even felt that way when I was thinking of where I wanted to work. Like it's less about the brand, but it's more about the people, the people who are going to train me or invest in me as a young person, etc. So you like your boss? I like my boss. <laughs> well, on that note, it's time to wrap up our first IRL pod. Thanks for being our first guest in the in the real life Thank pod. Thank you for having me. 